Uh, For the rest of us, if you can turn to Acts chapter 20, and let's look at verses 18 through 24. The sermon is from verse 24, but I'll read starting from 18 for the sake of context. And these are Paul's words to the Ephesians church right before he left. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, which came upon through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish the course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. You can bow your heads with me and join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for the clarity of your word that before it directs us to live properly, transforms us from the inside to give us new hearts and new eyes. Your word rejoices our hearts and opens up the eyes of our hearts to see the world clearly, to see our mission clearly, to see Christ with new eyes and with new affections and to live life in a way that's consistent with the new heart. And I pray that this text would continually transform us and renew us in, uh, in our minds that we might not be conformed to the things of this world, but for your pleasure and for the glory of you, for the exaltation of Christ and the furtherance of the gospel here in this world, we would be transformed from the inside out and live lives accordingly. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who directs us, who guides us, and who helps us understand these things in a way that changes us and makes us doers of the word we ask for your blessing upon the hour, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, it was several months ago that, uh, no, it was nine, nine months ago when we, we took off to Hawaii. It was in 2006 when I wrote in my master's seminary application that the reason why, I was 22 years old then, the reason why we wanted to, I wanted to enroll in the master's seminary was because I wanted to get trained uh, to bring the gospel back to where I grew up, uh, namely in Hawaii. And in June 2014, we began the process of trying to get to Hawaii through a Southern Baptist organization, two of them, actually, that were related. And then it was in that summer where Pastor Cliff asked if I'd be willing to work for GBF at that time for, for the summer. And then... Later on, when we were then trying to make the move to go, this was in 2014, he asked, well, would you consider working at Creekside for, or GBF for a season for the next year? And I said, sure, and we'll consider everything from there. And, and that year turned into seven wonderful years at this church, both ministering at Creekside, GBF, and also at Legacy Christian School where we were at. Uh, it was at this church where... We were nurtured back to health from what was a real devastating church experience before that. And through this church, we were brought back into the ministry, which I'm forever thankful for, 
where we grew and I grew and developed as a minister. Uh, this was a church where that the only church my kids remembered in their early, early childhood, and this is this was their home. They asked why they couldn't come today. Uh, they're watching today, so they see they see all of you. Um, every Sunday we uh, or I'll tune in every once once in a while, and we'll still see Jane Schindler right there. You know, and like there she is. The church has not changed. Um, and uh, and it was tough to leave here for several reasons, and one of them being that your lead pastor, you know, Pastor Cliff, treats his pastoral staff with more care and more justice than any person I know. And uh, the elders here are unique because they do things according to what the Bible says. <laughs> and the men who I had a chance to mentor here became my closest friends. And But we did take off. And we've been in Hawaii for the last nine months since July. And the goal was the goal was to get there. We've been praying about it. I'd been praying about it for the last 15 years. And we finally made the move. And the goal was go there as a math and science teacher uh, and then just wait for things to happen. We'll see what happens once we get there. And so I was hired as a math and science teacher, and we went there. And now I am teaching math and science. Um, I told the kids there that they ruined my life because I never thought I'd be teaching math and science ever again. But here we are. But God did grow the ministry, and I am pastoring a church there as well. Um, and I'm also teaching uh, two Bible classes at the same school that hired me, uh, Systematic Theology and Apologetics. And I am teaching at uh, Bethlehem College and Seminaries Hawaii Extension there as well. It's part of the adjunct faculty, and I've spoken at an apologetics conference there as well. And I'm now about to start teaching at the Bible Institute of Hawaii which is a training institute for lay leaders. And um, if you notice, I got darker because I'm coaching cross-country as well. <laughs> and so, life, thank you for your prayers. Ministry took off much more quickly than we thought. Um, and because of that, we're, we're very tired. And life is not easy over there. Um, the day starts at 4.45 and a lot of times ends after 8 o'clock. And, um, and uh, it's extremely fruitful, but we're exhausted and so the big question was, then why did we go? And I remember talking to, I, I had been talking with one local pastor there since 2014. So he was privy to how things were going at Creekside and at the school. And he said, most people don't last here in Hawaii. Most pastors don't last. And it's going to be tough for you to move here because you're in a very, very good situation at your church and at your school. And it really is. And Hawaii is not an easy place to minister. I'm talking to some pastors there right now who have just told me that they, they just can't do it anymore. Uh, it's not easy over there with the lack of resources, um, with the lack of pastoral training. And the people are hungry, the people are needy, but the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, and there are very few workers. I've already preached at my what will be my sixth guest speaking opportunity at a church because of the need of pulpit supply. And it's tiring. It's fruitful and it's tiring. And so the question is, why would we leave a situation like this? Because if the fruitfulness of your ministry and a thriving ministry is God's way of indicating that you ought to be where you are, then it really would have made no sense to leave a body like this and a ministry like this. And the things that were happening here but there is a deeper philosophy of life and ministry that does great against the fabric of the human flesh. 
but that's essential for any Christian to have if you are going to live life and make choices with any kind of integrity and consistency with the gospel that saved you. If Jesus Christ really did live and die and rise again, and he is in heaven and he is going to return, and if the gospel that he entrusted to the church is only going to be furthered by the church, not by angels, not by another parting of the Red Sea, but by the people who make up his church and every part of that church, then there is a philosophy of life, a reason why we do what we do, that comes from that, and life ought to be lived in a way that's consistent, that has integrity with that calling. Every person is governed by a philosophy of living, and because of that, we live by habit. I mean, you look at your phones, and Apple Maps will tell you how long it's going to take for you to get to the place that you're supposed to go to on Saturday, because they know your habits. I mean, I I found that out in Hawaii. I didn't know that people at Apple can do that, but... I turn on my phone and get in my car. It's a Saturday, and it says it takes, it's going to take you 35 minutes to get to Ala Moana. And I'm thinking, how did they know that I was going to Ala Moana? And it's because every Saturday I take my son there for, uh, for a class. And so our habits are predictable because we all have an underlying philosophy, a reason why we do what we do. And to live a godly life, you have to have a godly philosophy of living And a worldly philosophy, no matter how much you try to fake it, you can't hide it at some point because what's in the heart comes out in the life. And worldly decision-making is founded on a worldly philosophy of living. And so when the way we see life is correct, decision-making all of a sudden becomes honoring to God. But when we don't see life in the correct way and when the philosophical foundation of why we do what we do isn't consistent with the gospel, we're not going to live lives that are worthy of the gospel. And so when Paul says, live and walk in a way that's worthy of the calling you've received, there's an understanding there that based on what we know about this gospel that saved all of us, and that is all that matters, right? At the end of the day, this is, this, the time here is going to fly by. I'm actually hoping for time to slow down. I mean, this, the time is flying way too fast. I don't want to get to 40 yet, but it's, it's, it's happening too fast. And uh, before we know it, we're going to be in eternity, and all that's going to matter is who is in heaven and who is in hell. And when that shapes a person, they live a different way, and one of the people that it shaped and whose lives was dramatically transformed was the Apostle Paul who said what was written here. And when we get to the book of Acts, you see the sovereign wisdom of God. It is absolutely uh, just outstanding. It's amazing to read the narrative of this book because how do you start with 120 people, a lot of them who have no training, and all of a sudden, I mean, think about it. When it says, you will take the gospel, you will be my witnesses from in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and all of a sudden, even to the remotest part of the earth, and if you take your hand and you put it on Jerusalem, and you take your other hand and put it on the other side of the globe and do a 180, you get to the Pacific Islands where I'm at right now. And I told the kids that there, and I said, that is the amazing work of the Holy Spirit to bring this gospel to the furthest place from where it started. And here you are taking Bible class with me, right? And they're like, wow, we're proud of you, right? But no, this is about the Holy Spirit's work in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. 
And after it spread to Judea and Samaria through God's providence, through the suffering of the apostles and the persecution of the church, the question was, how then would it reach the ends of the earth? And what started the process of the gospel even getting here? We're all here having been saved by the gospel, but California ain't anywhere close to Jerusalem. And it happened because God chose a vessel named Saul, later we know as Paul. And from Acts 13 through 28, you see what God did, what the Holy Spirit did through the Apostle Paul, who started off as an enemy of the church. I mean, he talked about someone who didn't deserve this. When Paul said that this is a trustworthy message, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, I am whom the foremost, because you can't deny it, this wasn't self-deprecation. He was self-righteous. He was hypocritical. He dragged people out of their homes, put them into prison. He hated the church to the point where Jesus himself appeared to him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You are killing this church. At least you're trying to, and why are you doing that? But from then on in Acts 9.15 it says, Jesus said, the reason why you ought not to be afraid of him, I would have been afraid of him too if I had met him then, is because he is my chosen instrument to bear the name, to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul would be an instrument to testify of the gospel, and that's what he did. After he came back from Arabia, all he did was testify of the gospel. I mean, you talk about, I mean, we're happy when we share the gospel with a family member once every five years. Paul went everywhere and spoke of the gospel to everybody. If there was a penguin there, he would have spoken the gospel to that penguin. But there wasn't, obviously, because they're in the Middle East. But there's my animal illustration. Sorry, it had to come out at some point. <laughs> and he began proclaiming Jesus everywhere. And Jesus also said, you will be my chosen instrument. And isn't that what we all want to be? But he did suffer. And he went on his first missionary journey with Barnabas. As if the initial skepticism of the church wasn't enough. But at Antioch, he was driven out by the Jews, his own people. Shades of what happened to Jesus Christ in his own town. Then at Lystria, he was stoned, and he was almost killed, and he came back. I mean, why do, you, why do you go back to a people who stoned you, right? But he came back, and he was almost killed. And then in the second missionary journey, that's when he had a fallout with Barnabas, which is a lot more painful than I think we realize. All it said there was there was, a, there was a strong disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, and there was a schism. And anyone who's been in pastoral ministry knows how painful that is. Underneath those words is pain and grief. Fallout with Barnabas. And then at Philippi... He and Silas were dragged into the marketplace, arrested, and they were beaten with rods, had their clothes ripped, and he was put in prison, and he was fastened to stocks, rescued by God through an earthquake, and if that was me, I would have said, that, that's it. And then he went on a third missionary journey, and in that one, there were no arrests, no stoning, they did try to persecute him, but he escaped, and his ministry there was thriving, and the word of God was multiplying, and many miraculous things happened through Paul's hands through the Holy Spirit. There were plots to hurt him, but each time he was spared of the direct suffering. And it said in Acts 19.20, and this was what was happening in the ministry of Paul. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. And that's exactly what you want to see happening with your ministry. 
And if you were Paul, thinking like a lot of us may at times, you would think, then this is where I need to be. If the word of the Lord is growing mightily and my ministry is thriving, and he started the church in Ephesus and he ministered to them for three years and he raised up elders and the church was thriving and the church loved him. And all of a sudden it says, after these things were finished, Paul purposed to the spirit, in the spirit, to go to Jerusalem. Why in the world are you going to leave that? And then in Acts 22, or Acts 20, verse 22, it says, Now behold, bound by the Spirit, in other words, I cannot do anything unless this is what the Holy Spirit wants for me. I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. We usually want to know. We like planning, right? We want to know what's going to happen, where we're going to live, what we're going to do, how much money we're going to get paid. And Paul said, I don't know what, I don't know what's going to happen to me there, except, oh, what's the exception? That the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me. So this is not a probability. The Holy Spirit himself has told me in every city that bonds and afflictions await me. So when you get there, you're going to suffer. And when you get there, you're going to go to jail. We've candidated at churches. I've never gone for a church that said, by the way, once you get here, um, in three years, it's a prison. We looked for at least financial packages, benefits, you know, whether or not the congregation, we fit, they like us, we like them. That's not a bad thing. We don't look for jobs, let alone ministries, that promise us that we're going to go to jail. So why in the world is Paul doing this? Is he just masochistic? Is he just like the smell of prison? Like... What is it that's driving Paul? And he reveals it in Acts 20, 24. That's his MO. And now when Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And when he tells Timothy that you do not be ashamed of this gospel for which I am in prison. Because even though I am, the word of God is not in prison. And therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, including this and when he says therefore Timothy you suffer with me that is fellowship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ and in the same way I've finished my race you be sober in all things endure the work of an evangelist endure suffering and just like I am right now fulfill your ministry and he says, this isn't stopping with you. The things that you have learned from me, you entrust this to faithful men. Bring this philosophy of living to faithful men who can then teach the church to think and do the same. We ought to be transformed in your philosophy of living and ministry if we want to be an instrument to fulfill God's mission and be rewarded for it. People always ask, well, I want to be used by God. We can and we will, and God can use anybody to do anything if he can get a donkey to say something true he can use a human being made in his image transformed by the holy spirit to do the work of the gospel but paul had to be willing to have this philosophy in him and unlike pastor cliff's announcements i do have alliteration so three c's be transformed in your consideration of yourself and your commitment to ministry and in your convictions of the gospel Let's talk about the first one. Consideration, 
commitment, conviction. We ought to think this way if we want to live the right way. He says, this is why I'm going. He says, but, in other words, yes, afflictions await me, but, in other words, there's a reason why. Not therefore, it's but, no one likes to go to prison. Right? (laughs) But, I do not consider my life, in other words, the way I'm looking at my life is this, the way I make my life is this, I do not consider my life of any account. In other words, I don't make my life in this way as dear to myself. In other words, in absolutely no way do I consider my own earthly existence as precious or honorable to me. In comparison to obedience to Jesus Christ, this is how much Paul respects his existence, his self-preservation, and reputation. There is no career development here. You go straight to prison. It's kind of like, uh, you know, having teach, you know, teaching, teaching high school, teaching high school math, right? Um, students often have a choice, right? You can either, well, for them, complete your homework or get seven hours of sleep. And for them, they do not consider sleep as dear to themselves because they would rather have a grade. Um, so as their teacher, I lessened the homework load, right? Um, just being kind to them. Plus, they don't give homework in college anyway. Um, but what Paul said is, when it comes to what I have to do for Christ, if I had to choose whether I would keep my life or obey Jesus, it's not a, it's not, there's no decision-making needed there. I don't consider my life of any account in any way, not even some way, what about 10%, not in any way, the language there is real strong, in any way, as honorable, as respectful, the word there, as dear to myself. You know, what we respect ultimately dictates how we make decisions. You know, as a husband, I respect and honor my wife's needs too much to just go out and hang out with friends all night long, all week long. And she's more enjoyable to hang out with than anybody else anyway, right? As a father, I respect and honor my kids' needs for food and shelter. That if it means having to get five jobs, you get five jobs, even if it makes you tired because... Out of respect for the dignity of your children, this is what you do. But as a Christian, saved by the gospel, is there something you respect too much that prevents you from doing what God wants you to do? And you know, it's been two years now since the start of what was the start of the COVID-19 era, which, again, will go down in the history books. And Ecclesiastes 7.8 says that hindsight is always better than foresight. You see, you see things more clearly after the matter. And we are on the other end um, of that, I think, I believe. And we've been following this now, not just here, but in other states, talking to other pastors in different countries. And what was clear was this. There was a point where people said, Yes, there's a risk, but we cannot keep our kids out of school. We have to put them back in school. Their education is too precious. Yes, there's a risk, but we can't keep each other away from us as family members. We have to have extended family gatherings. 
we'll do that. We can't, it's too dear to us. But what we did see is that there were so many Christians who were so willing to stay out of church and do the ministry of the gospel because they were afraid of what would happen. And it's not just in the Bay Area, it was everywhere. And it was revealed just how important people felt they were to themselves. But if safety and preservation and provision is what's most important to you, then the gospel is not for you. Because if it is, then you will compromise the work of the gospel in your life. And if esteem and career growth and success and money is what is most important to you, then the gospel is not for you because you will again compromise the work of the gospel. What people are really often asking sometimes is, how can I be saved but also get as much of the world as I can? And so the question is, is is Paul just crazy? Or maybe, maybe that's just for the apostolic people, right? Who's this for? And where did Paul get this philosophy? He got it from Jesus. And when Jesus spoke the same philosophy decades before, he wasn't talking to pastors. He was talking to the people who were following him. He said in Mark 8, 34, 35, All those who were following him because he could provide so many things. I mean, why would you not follow someone who can cast out demons and calm the storm and tell the weather not to rain and multiply, right? Five loaves of bread and two fish to feed over 10,000 people. Why would you not follow him? And so a lot of people were following him. And he taught with authority. It was new. They hadn't heard anyone teach like him. And at some point, right after Jesus decided or revealed that he was going to Jerusalem, going to the cross. And Peter tried to stop him, thinking he was caring for him. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. There's no political correctness there. Because you are more concerned about the things of man than the things of God. And then Jesus said, if anyone, anyone, the Greek word for anyone means anyone, wishes to come after me, if anyone wants to be a disciple, wants to call yourself a Christian, he must, not he can, he must, this is a mandate, you're saved by faith and you're not saved by works, but you're called to a specific life. He must deny himself, think of himself as meaning nothing. Stop thinking about yourself. Take up his cross And when they got images of the cross, I mean, they weren't thinking golden chains. They were thinking execution, Roman-style execution. That scared people from ever going against the government because if you ever did that, what happened to you? You have to take that cross and follow me because here's why. Whoever wishes to save his life, if you want to preserve your life, you will lose it. But whoever loses his life, whoever gives up, gives up his life and says, I consider my life in no way as dear to myself. I'll give it all up for the gospel because Jesus says, for my sake and for the gospel, will save it. For what profit is it for a man? What's the point of living if you gain the whole world, but you forfeit your soul? 
If anyone comes to me, Jesus said, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life. If your life is that important to you, he can't be my disciple. And whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That's not works-based salvation. That is looking at Jesus Christ with full unadulterated faith that he is the only one who can save us from the bondage of hell and therefore we give our entire lives to him and if that's the only thing that matters we give our entire lives to telling people about him and having people grow into him correct so who is your life for and why are we doing the things that we're doing why are we living why are we living why are we working why are we saving money why are we buying homes Jesus and Paul's Philosophy seemed so counterintuitive that Peter tried to stop Jesus and Paul's associates tried to stop him from going into Jerusalem as well because it doesn't make sense from a pragmatic perspective. You don't do that. You don't walk to a cross if you're trying to preserve your life. That's deadly. So who ever came up with this thing called your best life now? <laughs> kind of false teacher made that up anyway. That doesn't sound like denying yourself and taking up your cross and following me because whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And Jesus said, whoever gives up everything for me, for my sake and the gospels, will get a hundredfold more and in the next age, eternal life. We have to think differently about the world than the world and think differently about our lives then the world does. The world cannot look at the church and come to the conclusion that they're nice people and they think just the way we do. They just go to church on Sundays. It can't be like that. Because you shouldn't be that important to yourself. It doesn't mean that we don't have freedoms. We do. And it doesn't mean that God does not care about us. That's why we cast our anxieties on him. We humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, casting our burdens and anxieties on him because he cares. God deeply as our father cares for everything that we need. And God knows everything that we need before we even know it. And our family is a testimony to how God has provided for us over there. Thank you for praying for us for that. And God has shown himself to be a faithful provider for our family. But if we want to live a blessed life. At the end of this chapter, Paul says that he remembers what Jesus said himself. It is more blessed, more blessed to give than to receive. And if we want to live a blessed life and live a life that's worthy of this gospel that saved us in our consideration of ourselves, we have to be able to say that to us, my life is not important. If that's what I need to give up for this gospel, for this new covenant ministry that is so glorious, but is in us as earthen vessels that we are not adequate for, but that we have been called to do. And so the gospel saves us and calls us to give up everything. That's how we think about ourselves and you tell me if that's how America calls you to think about yourself today but number two in your commitment to ministry committed to completion 
Paul says, this is why I do this. I'm not just doing this to look, look a certain way. Some people suffer for the sake of looking like suffering people. But Paul says it's for this purpose, so that I might finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, yes, in 2006, I put in my application to the Master Seminary that I was going to go to get trained to go to Hawaii, full of big dreams. And those dreams, by the way, have all happened. Ministry happened. But it only took six months for me to start journaling that I don't think this is for me. I think I want to quit and start looking for other jobs. And I did. I just didn't take it, but I struggled. Because all of a sudden I realized this thing is a little bit harder to do than I thought. Because there's a lot of suffering. It's lonely. It's painful. And all the things that I was afraid. I remember this one sermon that Steve Lawson preached at the Master Seminary First Shepherds Conference where he, he talked about how the right hand of God had protected him from everything he had gone through. It's supposed to be an encouragement. And he listed all the things that he had endured, that the right hand of God had protected him. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. That's not encouraging. And every single one of those things has happened to me since. But Paul's not masochistic. He said that I might finish in the same way that it says Jesus is not only the author, but the perfecter of our faith. He finished it. He went to the cross, and so would Paul in his own. In the same way that he told Timothy, you need to finish the course. And in John 17, when Jesus spoke to the Father and said, I've, I've finished it, Paul said, you have to, I have to finish what, not just what I started, what I've been told to finish. My course, Right? Literally, my race, it's a, it's a picture of a long-distance race, right? And that, that just brings nightmares for all of us. I mean, who wants to run a marathon? And who wants to do ministry if it's going to take that long? And what is my course? When people ask, well, so what does God want me to do? It's this. The course is, Paul says, and the ministry, the service to the gospel. This is the course that he needs to finish, And he says, which I received. I didn't come up with this. I didn't daydream. I didn't brainstorm. Which I was given, I received from the Lord Jesus himself. Paul is the slave. Jesus is the master. Jesus comes up with the description. Paul has to fulfill it. In other words, I'm not autonomous. My job description, my ministry description was already decided. And it's being unveiled over the course of time as Paul seeks the will of the Holy Spirit and he was forbidden to go to certain places but allowed to go to certain places. And in the providence of God, I'm not saying we don't have the freedom of will when we go about life and ministry, but at the end of the day, the truth is if we believe in the sovereignty of God, then our job description for the sake of the gospel is already decided and our job is to discern what that is. And Paul knew that. This is conviction. The very one who saved me and what a, what a testimony. And it's true, right? Where he said, the reason why I was saved was not because I'm some talented instrument. Was so that Jesus Christ would demonstrate his perfect patience. And by the grace of God, he said, right, I'm the least of the apostles because I persecuted the church. No one can forget that. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And that grace did not 
prove vain, but I labored more than any of them, and yet not I, but the grace of God in me, and the commission that was given to me, I have to fulfill. Interesting, when we, uh, when I did start coaching cross country, I felt like that was just uh, something that was going to happen. And, uh, and we do have middle schoolers in our team who have been run, or started running for the very first time. And uh, there are three coaches, and one of them, our head coach, is known as, they said he's like Jesus, because he's so kind and encouraging. Right? I said the other one is like Moses, because they say, that's the other assistant coach, because he says, we're going to go here, we're going to go there, we're going to stop here, get a drink here. And they said, Cueva's here, he's like Pharaoh. It's like, keep going, keep going, I feel like a slave. <laughs> and I tell these middle school, by the way, our girls won first place, so... And uh, I told our middle school boys, here's the only rule I have. No walking. You have to finish the whole thing. And these kids have never run before. And two weeks ago, the, the head coach gave us a route. I think he miscalculated how long it was supposed to be. Google Earth makes mistakes, apparently. And I told the boys... And this was from our school to Diamond Head and around Diamond Head and back. Hills, heat, humidity. And I said, you cannot walk because we have to get back before 5 o'clock. And it turned out to be 6.7 miles. And they did not walk. I fed them a cheesecake afterwards. <laughs> but the reason why is because we told them, before you can even think about winning, you have to know how to finish because the instinct of a middle school boy is to start out fast and then burn out. And you need to know how to finish what you've been called to do. You didn't come up with this route, but you got no choice. Not with me. You have to finish it. And it's one thing to be real flashy, right, in, in church, to be fervent in the ministry you're doing for a season. But it's another thing to be faithful, because to be the one who finishes means that you have to finish even when it hurts. But like I was told uh, by a professor of mine, his words to me were, no matter what, you need to get the job done, whatever it takes. Stick to the plan and quit changing all the time. I mean, I thought my life was hard there until I talked to friend of mine in the Philippines who's pastoring there, and he has to drive three hours one way every Sunday to help with a church plant and back. That's six hours on the road. It's like, things are going great. I'm thinking, I hate, I hate traffic, that kind of traffic too, but how do you do that? Because when you look at Jesus, who, that was not easy, and he pled in the garden for the cup to be taken away from him, because who wants to go through that kind of anguish? But it said, he is the author and perfecter, the completer. He finished his course. So when you run your race, you look to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured that cross. I mean, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was hell on earth. The father forsook him. But then he said the words we all wanted to hear. It is Finished. He finished it, and that's why we're here. And when we finish the work that started, God does things through people. 
And the reason why we're here today and the gospel got to this place is because Paul finished his and Timothy finished his and the people afterwards too. And God has entrusted a ministry to each one of us. A particular ministry based on your giftedness, your location, your gender, your marital gifting, your age, your health, your hair color, like whatever, you know. I mean, they told me when we got to Hawaii, they said, we need you to come here because you looked apart. And uh, I showed up to one apologetics conference, the first one that I spoke at, and I went up to one of the ushers, and he saw me, and he said, oh, are you here for the youth track? I said, no. He was super apologetic when I said, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking, right? I'm, <laughs> they said I was their favorite one. So, uh, uh, But <laughs> you got to finish what you start, and there is no retirement. If Jane Schindler does not stop him, then neither should you if she still keeps teaching Bible studies here. Neither should we. Sorry, Jane, but we love you. Uh, we can't leave it 80% completed. It has to be, the whole thing has to be finished. And it's not going to look the same for all. We can't compare ourselves to anybody else because everybody plays a different role in the larger picture of God's redemptive work and what he's doing. And we can't say, well, someone's doing this, so I ought to do this. Or if someone's doing this, why can't I do this? We can't compare. And that work has spanned from eternity past, from the start of human history. And that's going to continue until Jesus comes and sets up his eternal kingdom. But we all play a different role. Peter was in one place and Paul was another. And even Peter asked, well... If I'm going to get crucified, well, he didn't know he was going to get crucified, but what about him? Looking at John, and and Jesus said, if I'm going to have him live longer than you, what is it to you? You just follow me. And John didn't get crucified upside down. He got exiled in an island where he wrote the book of Revelation that gives us encouragement today about what's coming in light of all the craziness happening in this world. John wrote that in an island to remind us that Jesus Christ will win. And that was his contribution, his big contribution. And Paul's was different from theirs. In the same way that John MacArthur is 80 plus years old and still going, and Jim Elliott died at 27, bringing the gospel to the Native Americans, or not the Native Americans, the the South American tribe, the Alka Indians. Slightly different course for everybody. But we as Christians, no matter what the Declaration of Independence says, don't have autonomy before Jesus Christ. And we're not self-employed. And more than deciding what we ought to do with our lives, it's discerning what God has already said we should do. So much of Christian life is about discerning the will of God. Doesn't Paul say that in Ephesians? Do not be foolish, but know what the will of the Lord is. God has a will, and he has communicated it, and we can know it. And although we can't compare what we're doing to somebody else's, the question is, is can you articulate what it is that God has called you to do? What is the course that God has called you to run? And as Christians, we have to be able to do that. We can't run blindly. I'm not saying we have the foresight over everything, but we have to be clear about what ministry God has called us to fulfill and quit diverging from that path. But what does that commitment to ministry 
have to do with? And that's number three. Be transformed in your conviction regarding the gospel. So Paul said, this is the race that I need to finish. To testify solemnly of the gospel, the good news of the grace of God. To testify solemnly, to bear witness, to tell the world some news. The world loves news, right? In the wrong way. But there is news that the world does need to hear, that it's longing to hear, that they don't know yet. And I remember, I mean, being in Hawaii where it's, it's a liberal state, but people are now open. God is, it was a good time to go because God did shape people's hearts to where they're willing to listen. Just like he said in Acts 28, when Paul said, you will be my instrument to the Gentiles because they will listen. And I remember a student saying, Regarding issues like abortion, homosexuality, all that, they got to the point where they said, I want to know what you have to say. And they listened. And God has been preparing the world to receive some news, to receive the truth that we really know sets people free. The church wasn't meant to build homes, wasn't meant to reconcile with other religions or build nice programs or even change the government. The church was meant as the vessel, as the pillar of truth to testify to a dead world about the eternal life that is available through the person and work of none other than Jesus Christ. And we are not called to be diplomatic. We're called to, with grace and truth, share the gospel. And Paul said that, that I need to testify. This is what I need. I don't need a thriving ministry. I need to testify of the gospel, of the grace of God. Like when Paul said, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, Titus 2.11. There's a chance now for people to escape from hell. By trusting in Christ alone. Reconciliation to God Almighty, whose wrath is against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who are in all sorts of idolatry and immorality, there's now a chance. We can people can be reconciled to a God who is angry at what people are doing. We don't preach a message that you're going to hell. We preach a message that heaven is here and salvation is available, that God is extending heaven to all who are worthy of hell. You know, when I was at that Resolve conference in 2006, which was when I decided back then, even as a college student, that I would give myself to the ministry of the gospel. I didn't necessarily want to be a pastor. or I didn't know what I wanted to be, right? I was a new Christian, but I remember listening to a message on Ephesians 1, and it was at the end of the conference where the message was on God's sovereign grace and how in God's sovereignty he has elected for certain people, although they are moving towards hell, that he would stop them and bring them back and bring them into eternal glory. And by God's sovereign grace, that is going to happen. But that will only happen through the ministry of human beings, fragile human beings. And I was so torn at that point as to what to do. 
because I had my own aspirations for life. Um, and, and they weren't bad aspirations. But I remember thinking, sitting there as a 21-year-old, 22-year-old, if that's true, then at the end of the day, the only thing that will matter is the salvation of human souls when it comes to what's happening in this world. And if the gospel is the only message that can save, because it is the power of God to salvation, chicken soup for the soul saves nobody. (laughs) But if the gospel can save, then I don't care what I become. My entire life ought to be given to it, whether it's as a pastor, as I didn't even know at that point what an elder was, right? But as a pastor, missionary, church planner, teacher, school teacher, whatever. And I remember thinking, because I grew up as a non-Christian in Hawaii, that the island that I grew up in does not know Jesus. Conviction is key. There are a lot of people who live off of emotion. I do what I do to feel good because I like it. Nothing always wrong with that. There are a lot of people who are ambitious. I mean, Michael Phelps would swim 10K swims, being ambitious for a gold medal. But it's another thing to operate out of conviction like Paul did when he says, I do what I do because I've been told to. And there is no other option because woe to me if I don't do this. Godly leaders are held by conviction. They do what they do because they know that Jesus Christ himself entrusted that ministry to them. And the only option is to complete it. The church has has one calling in this dispensation. It's to bring the gospel to the lost, to minister the gospel to the saved, and to make disciples of Christ from every people group in every corner of the earth. The church exists so that every people and every culture and every nation can be penetrated and transformed by the message of salvation that has cleansed the church herself. Disciples are born through the gospel, they're grown through the gospel, they're glorified through the gospel. And God has appointed you as the church and me as a minister in the church for the service of the gospel. Very simple. And that's what Paul means when he says, in light of the fact that Christ has risen from the dead, because if he didn't, then don't do anything. Just live, eat, and drink, because tomorrow you die. But Christ is risen from the dead. He is our first fruits. And in the twinkle of an eye, we're going to be there. And so therefore, my beloved, be steadfast and immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord, because your work in the Lord is not in vain. And you were not left ill-equipped. He left you with gifts. He left you with resources. He's placed you in a particular location and me in a particular location. But the question is then, if you had to choose between doing the work of the gospel and preserving your life, which one would you really choose? And the other follow-up question from that is, what have you been doing? And only you can answer this. What have you been doing to contribute to the work of the gospel and how much has it cost you?
the gospel does demand, not, every, not necessarily every day, but the gospel does demand as a whole sacrifice. Paul will sh- Jesus said, I will show him how much he will suffer for my sake. But he's got no option. The gospel does call for extreme measures at times, and it's led by pastors and engaged by all. But why, why such a sacrifice? Why do we give up as much as we do for the gospel? Because all you need to do is look at the last few years, and if that does not unveil how broken this world is, including the last European invasion that we're all aware of, if you're not convinced at that point that we can't make a world a better place, then nothing will. And the world doesn't need some inspirational mumbo-jumbo from the pulpit. The world needs the person of Jesus Christ and his message from the gospel to be unveiled through the words of Scripture, empowered by the Holy Spirit through the work of faithful men. But that work needs to be furthered and assisted by everybody in the church. And that's why when you look at Paul's list of people, think this person Thank Epaphroditus, the messenger, because he gave his life for the work of Christ. In other words, that, that's, the, that's the example. We do that. And so do you really, in your heart of hearts, believe that the eternal souls of people are at stake? And do you really believe that you have been entrusted with the message that can make a difference by the sovereignty of God? Are you sure about that? And to what length will the church go to bring the message that repentance and forgiveness of sins is available to all nations beginning here? What Jesus did was no small thing. And we celebrate when people win tennis matches. What's so important about hitting a fuzzy ball over the net 50 times? I mean, I know the importance, but... (laughs) But when he lived, I mean, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were created by him and for him, and apart from him, nothing came into being... And the word became flesh. I mean, forget the the marshmallows and the hot cocoa and the chocolate and Santa Claus and Christmas. Christmas is a phenomenon. The word who created the world became flesh. And not only that, he dwelt with us and he did that. And then he became obedient even to the point of death. And even death on a cross so that whoever looks at him in faith will not perish but have eternal life. And that is available now to all people. And he has left the church to testify that Jesus Christ is alive and risen in heaven, seated at the right hand of God, and is coming again to establish his kingdom and reign over the earth. 
And one day we'll judge the living and the dead. And who ends up as living and who ends up as dead, all now is left in the hands of the ministry of the church. So was Paul being a maverick or was he being a disciple? Every Christian will stand before God fully justified. But the question is, will every Christian finish their course the way God intended? And Paul said, now, if any man builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work, each man's life. And if any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. And if any man's work is burned, in other words, there will be some Christians who will not be burned, but their work will. He will suffer loss. But he will himself be saved yet as through fire. Our God is on a mission to reach the ends of the earth with his gospel and to extend the message of the forgiveness of sins and eternal life and to see one culture, one people, transformed in the renewal of their minds from worldliness to worship. Isn't that what the Father is seeking? This is what the Father is looking for, for people from everywhere to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so he told Timothy, which I read earlier, for this sake, you be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Don't run away from it. Endure it. Do the work of an evangelist. In other words, Give yourself to the work of the gospel and fulfill your ministry. Start it, endure it, and finish it. And when the day comes that you stand before him on that day, will he put your work in the fire and burn it? Or will he say, based on the way you multiplied your talents, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that we stand before you as saved people that we have the joy of anticipating eternal life in matter, no matter what's happening in this world. And we pray that through the Holy Spirit empowering us, we would be faithful as we consider our lives as of any account not dear to ourselves, but give ourselves to the work of furthering this message so that people may be saved and Christ may be exalted and you ultimately be glorified. And we ask for your Holy Spirit's power and guidance and leadership in our lives individually and as a church that we might be transformed in the way we think and that we might think of ourselves as not worthy to keep but as ones belonging to Christ as his soldiers, as his laborers that we might honor him in the way we work and the way we minister and that many great things in accordance to your redemptive work would happen through this church. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Creekside Bible Church, please visit our website at creeksidebiblechurch.com.